Bachelor number two says he's just a simple man trying to make his way in the universe. He's the president and only member of the Nuke Gunnery fan club, and sometimes he closes his eyes and thinks about Chewbacca. From Chicago, Illinois, here's Gabe Bot. Bachelor number three at some point dressed up as Jar Jar Binks for Halloween, but now solely dresses in ILM cast and crew items he finds on eBay. You can find him curled up with a hardcover coffee table book about Star Wars, art, or something. We'd like you to meet from Dallas, Texas, Brandon Winerdy. And now let's get on with the show. everywhere welcome to episode number 205 of blast points this is jason and this is gabe and we have a special guest today hello we are honored today to be joined by brandon from talking bay 94 brandon how's it going it's going great it's an honor you joined us once before on uh, over on the blast points army with yeah. uh trivia bay 94 which is one of my favorite bonus episodes over there right I made the jump from the Patreon to the main feed, so be sure you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's. Didn't you win trivia, so you get to take over the show now? I think is how it ended up. Yeah. So welcome, <laughs> welcome to Talk of Eight Ninety Four Two Blast Points. So this is now the spinoff show. But I feel like even when we did the the trivia bay, at that point we were like, well, don't make any plans for February. <laughs> It was like three months ago, and I had it penciled into my planner. I was like, ooh, here we go. It is February. It is the month of love. Love is in the air. And as you heard in the intro, our our love is a singular love. We want John Knoll to be our Valentine. Yeah. It's a special kind of Star Wars love. Love Knowles, no boundaries. <laughs> Love Knowles, no limits. <laughs> if you're listening to this, you probably know who John Knoll is. He is the chief creative officer, executive, the highfalutin person over there at ILM. He's been on just about every Star Wars bonus feature you can imagine. He co-created a little shareware program called Photoshop that you may have used once or twice or heard about in his spare time. 
he pitched the story for Rogue One as was told a hundred times in different bonus features throughout the year 2017 or whenever that movie came out. The best thing about Rogue One, I think, is we got so many good John Knoll interviews. So much. Like, it had been a long time since there was that much John Knoll, John Knowledge <laughs> going out into the world. So, and all the good things about Rogue One, that may be the best thing about it. We all got to know John Knoll a little bit better. <laughs> so we, we love him. We respect his work. We're huge fans of his. But why do we want John Knoll to be our one and only Valentine in February 2020? Brandon, let's start with you. Why, why do you love John Knoll? Well, I'm going to take it all the way back to the beginning. By the beginning, I mean the beginning, the, the Phantom Menace bonus feature DVD special. And in that special, it is not about how they made The Phantom Menace. It is about how John Knoll grew his facial hair throughout the process of making that movie. He starts off that first scene, he's clean-shaven, he's youthful, he's joyful, and by the end, he has that goatee on his face. And now, as I am speaking, I also have a goatee on my face that I wear in celebration of John Knoll every day of my life. So that is why I love John Knoll. That's character development right there in that movie. It's, it's the hero's journey all right there. <laughs> it's Joseph Campbell. The circle is there. The Joseph Campbell uh, cycle is right there on his face. Gabe, how about you? Why, why, why would you say you love John Nolan and want him to be your Valentine? He's a true Renaissance man. He's a scientist. He's an artist. He's a Naboo fighter pilot. He's really the best of all of us. What we all can strive to be. I would have to say I love him for his, first, his very dry sense of humor. And two, his extreme passion for his after hours projects, which we're, when we get into some of his history, we'll, we'll start to dive into. But he built a computer 360 degree model version of the Death Star hangar. The Trench Plans from A New Hope, he did a cleaned-up version of that. I remember at Celebration Chicago, they showed footage of him working in his garage with an apron on, building a model of the Razor Crest from Mandalorian. And we were just like, well, of course he is. Well, he, he's also been in his garage building a scale replica of the Dykstra Flex camera that completely functions. <laughs> as you do. As you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How hard would it be to find John Knowles' garage? Like, that can't be... <laughs> That tough. He's in the yellow pages, probably, right? Yeah. It's probably smoke coming out of it. Why can't can we take a tour of that? Like, yeah, forget Skywalker Ranch, forget Lucasfilm, forget Rancho Obi Wan. I want a tour of the Noel household. I want to like have a little potluck. I'll bring a bottle of wine. Mrs. Noel will make us pasta. <laughs> Well, as we'll get into later, as soon as I would be spotted on his uh, home security camera, uh, the entire California police force would. He's here. It's him. <laughs> well, he did do the that nice 365, 360 degree like book with all the like VR pictures of the sets and stuff. So maybe he'll do a sequel to that. That's just all pictures of his garage. 365 days of my garage. Because <laughs> every day is probably something different and amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Which that book nobody talks about. That book came with like an amazing like CD-ROM. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are two versions. I have one right in front of me on my pick it up but it's but i don't know if the first version did it the second version had it i don't know but it, they're both great he's great this is great so let's get into a little bit of noel history as a kid grew up in ann arbor michigan just a hop skip and a jump away from me here as we'll get into later he, he was really into building models out here in Ann Arbor, and in 1978, he was with his dad and his brothers. His dad, uh, Glenn Knoll, who was a nuclear engineer at U of M, and he was scheduled to speak at a conference in Anaheim. And he took John and his brothers, like I said, with him to California, and John was 15 years old. In the hotel room, this famous story he's told a million times, he gets out the phone book and looks up Industrial Light and Magic. And there it is, just one year after Star Wars, there's Industrial Light and Magic right there in that phone book in Anaheim. So he calls up, and he ends up on the phone with Grant McCune, who was the head of the model shop there. And 
15 year old John Knowles, like, Hey, I'm a model maker. I want to take a tour of ILM. And the next day, John's dad dropped him off at ILM over there in Van Nuys. (laughs) And so the next morning he's there the whole day and he's watching them film models for Battlestar Galactica. See, if I did that now, I would get a restraining order, right? But that explains, and he's been chasing that high his whole life. <laughs> John Noel, he's just like us. <laughs> yeah, I would, again, immediately be arrested as soon as I walked in. Uh, when I was 10, I, I did a crank call to Ben Burt. I called Skywalker Sound and then I, the front desk, and I was just like, hey, uh, can I talk to Ben Burt? And they're like, yeah, one second. And they passed me through, and I left a voicemail, and he didn't call back. But that was that could have been John Noel. You know, I could have could have been the same thing. But. What did you say in the crank call? <laughs> I think well, I think I, 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 I buried the lead there. Uh, I freaked out a little bit because like it was his voicemail, right? It was like <laughs> you reached Ben Burt, and then I think I just mostly panicked and just said some things because I think I just finished reading his book, the little Galactic Phrases book. I'm sure I, I did something from that. Why didn't you invite me to to Skywalker Sound, Ben Burt? <laughs> And so I went to Daly's in the morning, and I got toured around uh, by Lauren Peterson, who I've you know, since worked with on a, on a bunch of shows. Hung around in the model shop, uh, you know, saw how they were doing the optical composites, how they were shooting the elements out on the stage. And it, it sort of blew my mind. It, it, uh, you know, there's, it, it's one thing to, to read about this stuff in, in magazines, and another thing to witness it in person, where you see, well, these people come into work, and their their job is they build these spaceships and they shoot them on the stages and they blow them up and and it's not that hard to picture yourself as one of those people and, and that day pretty much sealed the deal for me and all right I got to do this. So John goes back to LA later for film school at USC. Of course, George Lucas's alma mater. And while studying still at uh, USC, he gets some gigs working with uh, Greg Jean doing miniature, who did miniatures for famously for Close Encounters and Star Trek The Motion Picture. And college John Noel was working on the TV show V for a while, just while he was in college, just living the dream, being John Noel. So he graduates in 1984. And right around this time, yeah, he builds, he begins to build his own version of the Dykstra Flex, just as you do, which for people, for pe- anyone listening that is not familiar with the Dykstra Flex, Brandon, what, what is the Dykstra Flex? Uh, the Dykstra Flex is why that first Star Wars looks so different than the rest of the science fiction and any other movie that kind of came out around it. Uh, obviously, it was kind of created by John Dykstra on that initial ILM team. But it's how they kind of achieved that motion look uh, with all of the models that they created. Um, I don't know exactly how it worked, but it was on a track. It had the motion uh, capture with it as well. And so as it moved, I'm sure I'm explaining this terribly. And whoever's listening is just screaming. But it really did revolutionize how you were able to capture just inanimate objects. The camera was controlled by electric motors that were controlled by a computer so that they could make the camera move exactly the same way over and over again to do the different passes that they needed to, to eventually composite everything together to look like the final shot. That way they could have multiple things in the same shot. And, uh, but then John Dykstra took it and, uh, and went to Balsar Galactica. But that's a different story for a different episode. So 1984, John Knoll, I wonder, like, where he built this thing because, like, we've all been fresh out of college, and I didn't have any room to build a Dykstra Flex at home. <laughs> he built this thing out of a three-year-old Apple II computer, which he connected to a controller for a milling machine attached to a camera. He made a two-minute cartoon with this, as everyone fresh out of college does. Have we been able to see that cartoon? Is that somewhere? Can I watch that? I wish. I mean, there should be just a John Knoll box set of all of his home projects, a subscription 
service. <laughs> just, it's what's what's going on in John Knoll's garage. You pay five ninety nine a month, you get exclusive access. It's like the hyperspace webcam, but it's just it's just for John Knoll's uh, house. <laughs> Watch him comb a Wookiee's hair. There's a John Knoll uh, life size mannequin sleeping on a chair oh hyperspace the good old days um so so one year later he's at ilm and then and then in 1986 he's a camera operator there at ilm and he asked to be he asked if he can be shown their early computer graphics group and their machine for doing that which was known as the pixar hmm, sounds familiar sounds yeah that could go places <laughs> So inspired, he goes home and tries to write his own computer graphics program on his Mac, you know, just for fun, as people do. And around this time, also, he's working on uh, Star Trek Next Generation, where he perfected the the warp drive s- sequence that's uh, now famous in the opening credits, which you got to think before that opening of Next Generation, the you go back, you watch the old uh, Star Trek movies that warp drive in next gen was like, whoa, this is the next generation. Look at that. (laughs) So also around this time, him and his brother, Tom, who was at university of Michigan, they, you know, they just created Photoshop. Yeah. It's like John was working on some photo editing stuff. And then he checked with his brother and his brother was, I think already doing similar stuff. So they kind of just joined forces and were working on this, this little program to let you, at manipulate photographs. No big deal. Yeah, no big deal. Well, and especially like there weren't even digital cameras or anything. Like I think one of the one of the kind of famous things is he was able to get a scan of a photo he took of his wife. I believe at Apple, he like was visiting Apple for some reason because he was doing some work and they had a scanner, so he scanned the picture and that was like his test image for a lot of the work on Photoshop was just this picture of his wife on a beach, which is now this famous picture because it's been used in all of these demos of Photoshop and thing throughout the years. So because of this, he moves on to one of the big uh, computer graphics projects going on at ILM at that time, The Abyss, James Cameron's uh, fabulous underrated The Abyss. Just all of a sudden now he's working with James Cameron and Dennis Murin. And there, there's a story I read where he was like taking photos from every angle of like Ed Harris and of the cast of all the people that the uh, what's the 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 water creature called pseudopod. Yeah, the, all the things that the the pseudopod morphs into. He was like you know with the camera just taking photos from every angle, and I the, the story goes that like even Cameron and Dennis Murin were like, "What's the deal with this guy? This young kid, what's he doing?" But he knew like that they're gonna need every possible angle, and you know that John Knoll always thinking ahead. Well, what's crazy is that was kind of you know something that was just like, well, this makes sense. We're going to need all these reflections. I'm going to take pictures of the whole set. And that has kind of become basically the standard for how you do a visual effects shot. If you're filming on a set, you take all those pictures to use for lighting and reflections. It's like it's how you light and do reflections in video games. Like all the stuff kind of came from him just thinking that would be a good idea. And it's funny looking back at like his whole life is like that. He's like, He's like visual effects Forrest Gump, where he's just like, <laughs> whenever there's this big new thing in visual effects or just visual technology, for some reason, John Knoll just happens to be there and realizing it's a good idea. Well, and Brandon, you've, you've talked to so many people, too, that were at the, the forefront of this time at ILM. And so many of the interviews you've done with people, it's just, it's so interesting, so fascinating, because so many of these people are just like, yeah, we didn't know what we were doing. And it's it's kind of because I always try to at least show some gravitas towards that, especially it's that era. It's the Abyss. It's Jurassic Park. It's T2, right? That kind of – even you go before that with Sherlock, young Sherlock Holmes and, and Willow. and But they are always either – it's either two sides of the spectrum. They either say we had no idea what we were doing. We didn't really realize that we were kind of approaching this frontier or the other side that was saying like, we would be in the break room while we were doing this freaking out because we realized that this had never been done before. 
Um, and yeah, John Knoll was just like there all the time and making it actually happen, which is wild. So then we move forward to uh, 93 and um, Star Trek Generations is coming up at ILM. And because of the kind of what he did on Next Generation, he gets his first gig as the, the effects supervisor on Generations. And he was like, well, we're doing this um, on a big screen and it's the Enterprise and I want to do a better warp effect. And ILM came up with this whole thing and how we can do like a super new big screen version of the the next generation warp effect. And I guess Paramount or something said, no, it's too expensive. I think the story is they were planning on doing it and he had the the computer team basically spec it out what they think they would need to do and how much it would cost. And it was so expensive, John Noel didn't even show it to Paramount because he didn't even want to bring it up. And that's when he started messing around with off-the-shelf 3D software because he was like, there's got to be a way to do it cheaper. So he just started working on that effect in CG at home, on in, again, in his spare time. How much spare time does John Noel have? I think is the real question. I think that's his real superpower is somehow he has like infinite spare time. I would like to interview John Noel's wife. <laughs> Forget John Noel. I'll stop messaging him. I would like to talk to Mrs. John Noel. What does he eat? Does he drink like Red Bulls? What's the air conditioning like in that garage? <laughs> is he wearing a shirt when he's in there? <laughs> you know, like just what? programming the warp drive to go goes all the way down to his chest. It's like a, a thin line of hair. He can get so much more work done at home because he doesn't have to wear clothes. <laughs> the clothes, the, the button up shirts just slow him down. <laughs> I think having a background in real photography is, it's valuable. You know, one thing I see a lot in feature films, is a pet peeve of mine, is uh, exposure mismatches. Where if you've never been out there on the stage with a light meter trying to figure out how you're going to get a good exposure split between the interior and the, and the exterior, you don't appreciate how hard that is. And... I think if you haven't done a lot of photography that, that you're less sensitive to those kinds of things. So years later, the, the Star Wars Special Editions are ramping up. So he asks visual effects supervisor for A New Hope, Tom Kennedy, if he can do the same thing he did for Generations with A New Hope, with some of the X-Wing stuff. Kennedy's not too sure. So... Correct me if I'm wrong on this, but the story I read was that Tom Kennedy sets up a competition with Noel versus the ILM computer graphics department, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's like John Henry. <laughs> he's the John Henry of CG. So it's like, who can get it done quicker, cheaper, and have it look better? In what, four days later, according to legend, John Noel's version is done? I think it was a. I think it was a, a couple weeks. Oh, okay. Was, I don't think it was four days. It was a few weeks, maybe. I don't know. Wired.com says four days later, John Knoll was done. Did they say four days? Oh my <laughs> gosh. Okay. My brain couldn't even. <laughs> my brain wouldn't even accept that. Doesn't even uh, calculate. Knoll did it. Let's let's say let's 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 believe the legend. You know, there's always some truth in legends. <laughs> four days later, he gets you know some X-wing tests done. Is that what we're seeing in the New Hope Special Edition? Because those, you know, those have like never been changed from 97 to now the Disney Plus version. Are we talking about the what Rick McCallum calls out where he's like, and you can see the pilots move their heads. Is that what we're talking about? Or is this a different shot? I don't know if he's ever said which shot was the one that was the test, but it must be, yeah, maybe it's one of them. But I think the other funny thing is the, they, the, computer team never finishes right they just tell him to stop after a couple weeks <laughs> <laughs> never mind whatever noel does in his in his garage <laughs> so then we're moving on to 1999 episode one the big one there's john noel like we were saying right there with that core team where he's now how are we gonna do this thing well and remember too that they were starting in what was that early 97 late 96 so even as crazy as it is thinking about everything that's in the movie that came out in 99, like they had 
three years of that. The infamous scene with the storyboards and the markers was like, yeah, 96, 97. Was he a pink highlighter or a yellow highlighter? Which was John Knowles' department? I can't remember. Real, 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 not so real. And then the famous John Knoll with, we don't really have a good way to do this right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's when John Knoll, I think, probably first came on all of our radar, too, with those prequel bonus features where... There, you know, we see Rob Coleman and we see John Noel, these people that are rock stars to us, Doug Chang, but there's always been something about John Noel. Just seems like one of us. <laughs> well, and I guess that's the thing too. Like you, like everything we said in his history, like his passion and his love for this stuff that we love so much. Well, yeah, he's like the smartest person you'll ever meet. He's an incredible artist, and he just wants to talk about how much he likes the Star Trek movies. <laughs> like I said, he's like he's the best of us of of humanity. Like when the aliens come, and we have to give them one example of of the best of humanity. It's like there's John Noel. He's he's got it all. John Noel with his his homemade Dykstra flags, just like hello. It's, I'll, I'll deal with you aliens in a minute. I'm working on the the Razor Crest in my garage with an apron on. Right, just let me let me finish this little detail here what's what's funny to me and and something we'll touch on later with the rogue one story that's now kind of just like been repeated and repeated and repeated but even the recurring theme throughout is the trepidation he had to even pitch that to kathleen kennedy right and you would think like you know us talking about john Noel, like he's a legend which he is but even then he was not scared but he had a, a worry behind him of going to his boss and pitching a Star Wars movie, right? Which really, again, humanizes him, right? Makes it like he was just having fun and thinking up fan fiction and he didn't want to like tell his boss about it, you know? I thought it was great. He gets even more involved in uh, in Attack of the Clones. A lot of the, the fantastic Attack of the Clones bonus features, a lot of it is just him and George together. There's that great part. Uh, I think it's in the Attack of the Clones bonus features where he's like, I I thought you told me that this one was going to have less stuff. And Lucas is like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you told me this one was a romance and there was less in it. <laughs> Oops, a daisy. <laughs> he, he wins an Oscar for his incredible work on uh, Pirates of the Caribbean 2, which is my favorite Pirates of the Caribbean movie of all of them. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> And he, yeah, and he pitches the story for Rogue One, which, bless you, thank you. Well, what's funny is, too, because, like, that was, like, it's been pitched to us where it's, like, that was his idea and he was always thinking about it. But in the interview, it says uh, that he had daydreamed a lot of his own fan fiction, a lot of these other threads that he thought could be good standalone Star Wars movies. And what he says, this is a quote, he says, the first couple were just kind of backstory, like how Han and Chewie got to be the characters that we know in episode four. And I was like, yeah, but we kind of know what that is already, which means that he also had the idea for Solo. And so he's pretty much just pitching the different standalone movies. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I guess they didn't want to give him credit for two of them. Well, the other fun thing, which I don't remember if this came out earlier, but the fact that he pitched the Rogue One idea to, didn't he pitch it to Rick McCollum back when they were doing the TV show? Oh, really? So he'd really been thinking about that a long time. (laughs) I read somewhere, I forgot which article it was, but it was that uh, Kathleen knew of John Knoll because they were on a Trivial Pursuit team together during the company retreat or something like that. And she was impressed by his smart, smartness. I was like, Oh wow! Like that's pretty good. So now I really just want to do Trivial Pursuit with with John Noel. I'm sure all the other teams were pissed. I'm like, darn it, Kathy got John, <laughs> man. Well, and he's he's still at ILM today, and he worked. He did a lot of work on Mandalorian, which I always loved watching the end credits every week and seeing his name in the end credits and being like, "There's there's my boy, my friend." Well, and we can't forget about all the non Star Wars stuff he worked on too other than pirates he worked on avatar he worked on the new transformers movies he worked on pacific rim so many iconic visual effects movies other than star wars and it's like you could almost just take a slice at any point during his career and he would probably be in the list of like the all-time vfx greats but the fact that his career just keeps going and he just keeps raising his own bar of Amazing work is just 
it's kind of, I mean, we didn't even get into just the visual effects work on Rogue One with all the work he did with the space battle, their team making CG Tarkin, like it never stops. Yeah. The, the end space battle and working in that old pi- pilot footage and it's as seamless and as perfect as it is and everything in that end space battle. I think we said that in our review of Rise of Skywalker, where it's just like, why even bother doing space battles after Rogue One anymore? Rogue One may have to- has Rogue One topped Return of the Jedi space battle? Maybe. That's yeah. That's a little, I, I want to say that out loud. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that pop, the pop of seeing uh, Red Leader and Gold Leader is probably my favorite Disney Star Wars moment. Period. Which is kind of not sad, but it is like a you know more nostalgia based than anything. But just how seamless that was, and how perfect that was, and how unexpected that was is uh, is still such a highlight for me. Well, it's one of those great things that you weren't expecting, and then after you see it, you're like, well, of course. <laughs> of course they're here. It makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't they be? That's why it's so great. This is Admiral Reddish of the Rebel Alliance. All squadron leaders report in. Admiral, this is... Blue leader standing by. This is gold leader standing by. This is red leader standing by. So as much as we love and respect the life and the work of John Knoll, that's only part of the reason we want him to be our Valentine. We all have shocking personal histories with Mr. John Knoll. Gabe, what's, a, what's your John Knoll story? So I have a pretty tame one, but I've been lucky enough to go to the SIGGRAPH computer graphics convention a few times for work, and I was at one... I think it was a year or two before the Disney sale. So there wasn't a lot of Star Wars stuff going on. But I was very close to John Noel in the hallway. And I kept sitting like a row or two away from him in various talks. And I kept staring at him. And I really wanted to go talk to him. But like Anakin says to Padme, I was much too frightened to tease a senator. And I just <laughs> I didn't get up the nerve to go talk to him or at least even say hi. So... You showed restraint, and that to be commended. <laughs> I th- it was sometime in the early 2000s. It was definitely, I think it was in between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, it had to have been. And I was a manager at the Borders Bookstore in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I had no idea that John Knoll was originally from Ann Arbor. <laughs> so it's like... Saturday night, it's around, I think it was like right after, maybe the week after, a few days after Christmas. And like, I was like the manager on duty at that time, like, which basically just means like, I just got to wander around the store and make sure everybody's okay. And things going okay over here at the registers. Okay, cool. Well, call me if you need me. I'm just wandering around and in the cookbook section, there's a guy looking at cookbooks and I'm like, you doing okay? You need any help finding anything? And he turns and looks at me. He's like, no, I'm fine. And I'm like, oh, oh. And, and, but part of my brain is like, there's no way. <laughs> there's no way. <laughs> this guy looks like John Noel. And he sounds like John Noel. But why is John Noel in Ann Arbor? Because, again, I didn't know. And I just keep staring at him. And he's just like, I'm fine. And he like, goes back <laughs> and looking at his guy. And I'm like, okay. I go over to like the cafe, which is on the second floor where the cooking section was. And I'm like, have, have any of you people working in the cafe watching any of the bonus features for the Star Wars prequels? <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Hmm. So eventually I like explained to somebody, I'm like, there's a guy upstairs and he looks just like this guy that works for industrial light and magic. And as I'm saying that he walks right past the desk that I'm at. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> so, and he kind of shoots me a look and I'm like, good Lord, it is him. So then I realized that he's there with, I think it's his, his father and probably his mother and his wife is there and his kids are there. He's with, he's there with a huge group of people. Cause I see them Cause now I'm just following him around and I see them all talking to each other, but I'm not just like following him around. I'm like sneaking around <laughs> corners and trying to pretend like I'm busy and keep in mind. Also, I'm wearing a star Wars t-shirt and I have a star Wars, <laughs> I have a star Wars tattoo on my arm. 
It's not too subtle. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, following him around. And he keeps like the poor man. He keeps turning around and like looking at me. And I'm like, trying to like write on my mic, my little like pretending like I'm busy writing something on my clipboard. But I couldn't be more obvious. And <laughs> at one point he says something to his wife and even his wife shoots me a dirty look. And I was like, oh, God, now I blew it. <laughs> Yeah, eventually he checks out and I don't ring him out or anything. I just like watch him leave. And I'm like, that was John Noel. And Gabe, did I call you? Yeah, I think so. Because <laughs> I was like, why did you go talk to him? And you're like, no, <laughs> I was too frightened. I was too scared. <laughs> I like to imagine that his family has goatees, like his mom and his kids and his wife all just have like goatees. I felt so bad, too, because I was just like... He just wants to go shop around Borders, and he, of course, he's just like, oh, God, there's some Star Wars fan here following me around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's like, I'm 2,000 miles away from home. Just want, <laughs> just want to get a cookbook, make some food. I think I was wearing a T-shirt from Celebration 2. Oh. So then fast forward to Celebration Anaheim. And there's a, an amazing panel, The History of Industrial Light and Magic, with your host, John Knoll. Gabe, you and I ran in, and we were in the front row. <laughs> and out comes John Knoll, and he starts telling the same story that we said earlier. And he's like, well, I, I grew up in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I was just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we were all clapping because it was we had the uh, all the people from Michigan crew pretty much with us. So it was a pretty loud bunch of, of cheering and clapping for Ann Arbor. And he, he like, looks down at us. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that whole panel was amazing because he did, like, a film-by-film film important moments of ILM history, and it was incredible. But if we didn't love him already, he there was a moment in this History of ILM panel where he was talking about the, the Battle of the Mutara Nebula in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. And he started to play a clip on the big screen there. And he was like, you know what? This this scene is so amazing. What can we can we turn down all the lights? And he had the people like working at the Anaheim Convention Center, or whatever, they turned out all the lights in this big hall we were in. So we could watch the the Battle of the Matara Nebula scene in the dark. And I remember at the end, what did he say, Gabe? Like that, that just deserves to be seen the best way possible. That's just incredible. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. like t- tears in our eyes. Yeah. Like, yeah. Everyone's clapping. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we love you so much. Channel. Oh. Ask beetles. Fire. But then, like we would, we would always like at celebrations, right? We'd always see him in the hallway, and we'd like, mm-hmm, mm, like just nod at him. But I'm anytime I would ever see him, I'm always so afraid that he remembers me following his family around. The best was we were. I think this was still was this Anaheim the first time, and we were in that hallway between the two like sections. It was like a pretty small hallway, and we were talking to somebody um, that we had run into. And we just got done talking to them, and we literally turned around, and John Will was there, like walking towards <laughs> us because he was in a he was walking like from his hotel to where he had to go yeah. do a panel or something, and he literally like w- almost walked into us, and, and we were like, "Whoa, <laughs> oh, 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 we know, we, we, we know who you are." I think you just pointed at him. <laughs> and and he just he looked at me yeah. and nodded. Mm-hmm. Please don't talk to me. He's like, I remember you from Ann Arbor. (laughs) I can't look at cookbooks anymore. All right, Brandon, what's what's your John Knoll story? Oh, I don't think I can top that now. I have one that's similar, and I'm glad I had this one first because it primed me for the second one. Uh, But the first is kind of like what y'all were saying, right? Like he is just kind of at celebrations, right, which is good. Uh, and as you both know, like at Celebration Chicago in the Wintrust Arena and for the main panels of the day, they weren't serving coffee at 8 a.m. in the morning. They were only serving beer. So every morning before all these panels, I was getting, you know, inebriated. Uh, <laughs> but for the Phantom Menace panel, I was on my I think it was my second or third round of grabbing beers for who I was with. 
And so I had two beers in my hand and I was, you know, two beers in at 8 a.m. in the morning and walked by John Knoll and just like almost passed out, right? I was like, oh, oh no. <laughs> that was good though because then if I if that had been when I saw him again, if that had been the first time I saw him, it would have been even worse. So the second time I saw him was in Los Angeles. I flew out for – I live in Dallas. I flew out to LA for the academy, put on – like a, a, it was called Galactic Innovations, and it was about they actually were receiving the Dijkstra Flex as a donation from George Lucas. So they had all of the different Academy Award winners throughout the years from ILM come and speak. So Vince Marin was there, John Dijkstra was there, uh, and then John Knoll was there. And so after the panel, everyone kind of flooded to the stage, and no one really flooded to John Knoll. And so then I just kind of walked up to John Knoll, and uh, I was just like, uh, I don't know what to say. But then I just said the worst thing that you could say to John Knoll, which was, uh, I have a goatee because uh, you have a goatee. Uh, <laughs> and he, he did not take that very well. <laughs> so uh, – and then he was just like, uh, okay, thanks. And I got a selfie and then he just like <laughs> really went uh, very far away from me very quickly. So those are my two uh, John Knoll stories. It's a theme in all of our <laughs> – but I don't know like like I normally can keep my cool right like I saw Doug Chang and like I like treated him like a real person right or like I've interviewed like Bill Tippett and like I treated him like a relatively normal person but then John Knoll I just literally like almost threw up on his shoes so you know (laughs) there's something he's like a real life wizard like you (laughs) don't know how to act in his presence you only exist in my dream world (laughs) what are you doing here I don't know. Will he ever hear this? Probably not. He, I'm sure. <laughs> I really hope he doesn't. I'm sure he, he has restraining orders on all three of us, I'm sure. But yeah. ju- just in case, just in case Mr. Noel ever hears our John Noel, Will You Be My Valentine special episode, what is our each of our Valentine message to John Noel? Gabe, what... What's your Valentine message to John Noel? Well, I'll start with actually being serious that he is very, uh, I'm not a big like role model idol kind of person, but he is definitely in my professional life, someone that I look up to as inspiration of like how to be good at a technical type job and an art type job. So I really do appreciate the inspiration from that. But I just want to say, I don't know much, but I know I love you. And that may be all I need to know. <laughs> Jason, what about you? Mr. Noel, if you're listening, we love the films you've been involved in, but obviously we're huge fans of all the behind-the-scenes stuff and your particular story of passion and innovation is part of what we love about Industrial Light and Magic and the movies they've produced. It's like you are like the continuing living spirit of ILM. Obviously, we're a little crazy about all that. (laughs) There's a lot to admire in his his story and and his goatee. Brandon, how about you? Well, I mean, what you were saying is kind of indicative. Like what we're doing right now, right? We're recording a thing late at night because we love this and we, you know, this is our hobby. This is our passion. And that's what he does, right? That's what he does on a, on a bigger scale, right? Instead of recording a podcast, he he's building the razor crest or he is, you know, doing a bake off against the entire ILM visual effects department. Right. So it's kind of, he's just like the ultimate fan of creating these things. And that is so inspirational to me and inspirational to all of us really. And that's the serious thing. If I was going to say something, you know, a little more cheesy on a Valentine, I would just say uh, Adobe mine uh, (laughs) and put a nice little heart with a goatee on it and then send it to him to ILM. And hopefully he gets it and doesn't, you know, legally try to restrain me. We're putting it out there. John, will you be our Valentine? Who knows? (laughs) 
Please say yes, because otherwise, this is very embarrassing. <laughs> Before we die, we want you to know that we truly, deeply love you. <laughs> we put our souls on the line. We've told truce, <laughs> sacred truce. I really hope my fiance does not listen to this. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's because, you know, you want to love me? You got to love Noel, too. <laughs> Symbiotic relationship. Life forms. Working together for mutual advantage. <laughs> culture of the company is always to look at, um, is there a better way of doing something? Can we try something different that, that improves this or makes the workflow better for people? So we don't, um, we don't shy away from challenges. In fact, our, the projects that are the, the most fun and being the most rewarding are the ones that at the beginning you look at and you're not entirely sure how you're going to do it. Uh, that's where the real excitement is. So much fun having uh, Brandon on from Talking Bay 94. Brandon, tell everyone out there uh, about your show, Talking Bay 94. If for some weird reason they're not listening, why they should. And uh, you've got a pretty cool episode coming up really soon, right? Yeah. uh, Well, Talking Bay 94 is just me, and it's just me interviewing people that worked on Star Wars or that were in Star Wars, right? So. Uh, I've interviewed a bunch of people from ILM, not John Knoll, because he will not return my emails, uh, but a lot of other people. Uh, and then next week, actually, uh, or whenever I guess this airs, uh, but my next episode is with uh, the person with the most Academy Awards on the planet right now, Dennis Murin. Uh, and I didn't cry or I didn't uh, throw up, and it actually turned out really well, so I'm really proud of it. And uh, But yeah, really, really exciting stuff. That's And that's a thing, like like you were saying, with... When when you were talking to John Knoll face to face and with the goatee, it's one thing I love that like you can talk to people like Phil Tippett or Dennis Murin or these people, and you're I I know how much you're freaking out inside, but on your show you are cool as a cucumber, which I right. love. Well, it's also very aggressive editing, but yeah, whatever. I will say with Dennis Murin because uh, normally when I do these. Uh, interviews kind of like what we're doing right now like it's just audio based and I can kind of just kind of you know have my notes and whatever uh, but then I called Dennis Murin on Skype and he answered with a video <laughs> and I was very thrown off and he was like looking me in the eyes the entire time and I it was uh, very very aggressive so but I survived uh, but that was a, a nice little shock to my system well and we don't even need to do interviews now because you already you do them better so <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. I got into this podcast game because of of listening to Blast Point. So this is a weird uh, full circle moment for me. Like I said, if for some reason, if you're not listening to uh, Talking Bay 94, go over to wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe because, um, yeah, I'm so glad it's back, too. It's back after a, a little a little hiatus. So yeah, A little hiatus, but we're back. We're strong. We're just kind of chugging along. So good to be back. Too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. Are right, you know what we're saying? 
can predict it, what we're going to say. Apple Podcast Reviews. If you are listening on some kind of Apple thing, you can head over there, write a little something. Uh, Not only does it help the show in some mysterious Sith magic cloning way, but uh, we love reading reviews and we'll read yours on an upcoming show. And then check out our website, blastpointspodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and if you're on Facebook, make sure you sign up for the Super Chill Group. Tons of fun way you can meet and talk to other Blast Points listeners out there. And if you want to support the show in a different way, we've got the Patreon with the Blast Points Army on there. Uh, We've got another commentary that could be coming sometime soon and then later in the month and uh, going into March. It's going to be weekly Episodes dedicated to every new episode of Clone Wars, Season 7. All of them. Get ready. But that about wraps up. Episode number 205, John Knoll, will you be our Valentine? Will he? I don't know. We'll see. Maybe. Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, there's always next year. John Knoll, will you still be our Valentine? (laughs) Coming in 2021. Well... (laughs) Brandon, thank you so much again for joining us on this. Yeah, thank you guys. This was great. Well, on behalf of all of us, thank you for listening. Thank you, everybody. May the Force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the Force be with you. up in San Francisco and uh, you know it's a nice quiet little group and, uh, and we all have a good time but uh, you know you occasionally see the impact that the work that gets done there has on the rest of the world uh, the joy that it brings to people yeah. uh, it's it's energizing and fantastic. Mm-hmm.